and welcome to the Deadhead Cannabis Show. Jim Marty here from Longmont, Colorado. I've got my partner in crime, Larry Michigan, on the line. It always, always makes me chuckle when you say that, but uh, I'll accept it as it is. I think it's absolutely true. And I'm here in uh, uh, Evanston, Illinois, on a uh, lovely Sunday evening. Um, excited to talk about uh, all things uh, Deadhead and cannabis. What do we have on tap tonight, Jim? Well, we can start with the most recent experiences I've had here in Colorado. I went to Oysterhead last night uh-huh. and uh, I hadn't seen Primate or uh, Oysterhead maybe in a dozen years or more. Maybe um, we were thinking Bonnaroo 2006, 2007, but it was really good to hear Les Claypool's guitar again and hear him play that bass that is so unique. You know, he had that big curve, you know, guitar that he plays and one foot up on the amp and and it was shoulder to shoulder. They did two nights, Friday, Saturday. I got to Saturday. And uh, they played Mr. Oysterhead. That was one of my recollections. That was very good. And uh, late in the second set, we got a um, first tube. So Trey got to stand out a little bit. But I have to say, Oysterhead is really Les Claypool's deal. It was almost like Trey was playing second fiddle. Yep. Um, But I was telling the young people around me, I was there with my son, Jack, and some of his college friends. And I said, oh, this is a powerhouse, you know, three-person band with Stuart Copeland on drums. Um, I said, much like like Cream back in the 60s and early 70s. And no sooner did I say that than they finished the first set with White Room. The Cream song, White Room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, of course. That's wonderful. And they killed it. They just killed it. Very nice. But yeah, so we had a wonderful evening and we got invited to the after party. And then I was doing some political things on Friday with Senator Rand Paul, Republican, of course, from Kentucky. And um, he was out here doing some fundraising and talking about what's going on in Colorado and nationally. And he's, he's been a great friend of cannabis. You know, he's very libertarian. I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican. We all have to embrace our libertarian friends because, you know, cannabis is a libertarian issue. Do what you want, right? And um, anyway, he thinks that the stars are aligning, uh, that we might get the Safe Banking Act out of uh, out of the Senate this year. The House passed it, I think, back in September, right, Larry? That is correct. They they did, and they uh, they sent it up. And it, 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 I remember when it hit the uh, Senate. Um, you know, there was some question back and forth where it was going to go. And um, I know that, that you and I have talked, touched on this a little bit, Jim. Blow his first name. Is it, is it Mike Grapo from Indiana, the guy who's the head of the banking committee? Who first came up indicated that since it had received such strong bipartisan support in the House, uh, that he was sure that the banking committee would hear it. Uh, needless to say, the Senate got tied up with some other matters. Uh, those other matters are over, and hopefully as they... Uh, get back to regular business now, uh, this will be a topic that will come up and that they will address. 
Um, and and uh, like you say about Rand Paul and his libertarian roots, you're absolutely right about that. Uh, you know, agree with him or disagree with him on other issues. Uh, he is a friend of the marijuana industry, and uh, if he can help push it forward, all the better. Yep. So I um, I was invited to two Rand Paul events. One, I was a um, a guest host, and uh, we had a um, afternoon fundraiser for him at the National Cannabis Industry Association in Denver. And uh, that's where he told us, hey, the stars are aligning because, you know, Cory Gardner, Republican, Colorado, is in a going to be in a tough race to keep his Senate seat, which in turn means that the Republicans would keep the Senate. And Cory Gardner is a big co-sponsor of the Safe Banking Act. For simplicity, we'll call it the SAFE Act, which would normalize banking for the Colorado industry. And Well, for every state. With the program. So they're thinking, hey, you know, let's get this thing out of committee. Um, you know, there's definitely some um, anti-marijuana Republicans, uh, Chuck Grassley and Crapo from Indiana, as well as Charles Grassley from Idaho. McConnell's not a big fan of it. The two states that don't have any even medical marijuana right now, right? Right. And, and Idaho does, uh, has voted down their industrial hemp statute a couple of times they can't get it passed yeah but you know it might be the year to get this thing out of committee because if you can get it out of committee and get it to the senate floor it would likely pass the safe banking act and then we believe uh president trump would sign this bill because you know love him or hate him marijuana is not president trump's issue uh, he's somewhat of a libertarian at some levels He's got other fights. He's got other priorities. I don't think he would mess with marijuana. Just, I'm saying that based on the 2018 farm bill that he signed that basically legalized hemp, took it off schedule one. Yeah, and, and I agree with that. And I think that at the end of the day, uh, if he looks at it as a practical businessman, and, and you know, Lord knows he's nothing if not a businessman, um, it's a win-win all the way around. It provides revenue for the, the local governments and for the state governments. It provides jobs. It provides all sorts of great benefits. Um, and, and, and you're right, other than the fact that uh, he had appointed Jeff Sessions as the attorney general for a while, who's probably one of the most anti-marijuana people around. But on the other hand, Jeff Sessions didn't really do anything while he was in that position to jeopardize the industry. And I think that that was more of an overall strategy. And, and you know, Jim, you and I have talked about this before. Um, uh, you, know, you and I come from slightly different sides of the political spectrum. Um, but we've always been able to find our common ground in the marijuana industry and uh, what it means for us and what it means for everybody and what it means for the country. And it, it, it's always remarkable to me uh, that even even in these you know times that, that many people talk about as being as divisive as they've ever seen in the country over some really, really big issues that we've had to face lately, um, people have the ability to kind of push all that off to the side for a minute when it comes to cannabis, because I think people across both sides of the aisle see it as a winning issue, uh, they see it as something that we should be going forward with and can be a benefit to the country. Um, there are states that are Democratic and states that are Republican and states that are both that are very, very strong in the cannabis industry, as you were just pointing out, Colorado with Clark Gardner. And it's, it's really a win for everybody. Um, and to me, it's it's, uh, it's a wonderful thing that, you know, if, if, this, is the, if this is the issue um, that can bring both sides together just, just a little bit more um, you know, who knows where we can go from there and whether, you know, other bigger, more pressing problems 
can be solved as well. But I, I always feel good about that, that we, this seems to always go forward with bipartisan support. Yeah, it's not really a Republican or a Democratic issue, uh, in my opinion. Right. Uh, and the real wild card in all this is the, the hemp and the CBD. Um, you know, as I've been saying, not everybody wants to have the get high marijuana. But in the course of your lifetime, everyone is going to deal with pain. And I, I meet little old ladies in their 70s who swear by their CBD for their MS or their aches and pains. And so I, I think the tipping, we reached the tipping point in the last year or so with hemp and CBD because it's basically the same plant. The only difference is the level of THC. Um, I'm working with extractors here in Colorado, and they go for something called tea-free, THC-free hemp oil that they can ship all over the world because it doesn't have any THC in it. It looks like a big jar of honey. Well, you know, you're you're absolutely right about that, Jim. And um, you know, at the Hoban Law Group, we've been we've been preaching that for a long, long time as well. Uh, you know, there's a lot, there's a, a huge side of hemp that's going to have uh, an upside that's going to ultimately really dwarf marijuana. Marijuana, you know, I. I, I, I certainly wouldn't turn down the opportunity to own a dispensary or a cultivation center in the state of Illinois right now as it, as it breaks sales records week after week, you know, heading into this very successful uh, adult use program that we've established. Um, but I think that a lot of people in the industry looking down the road say to themselves, you know, as you just did, there's only so many people that like to get high. There's only so many people that are looking for that, but everybody is looking for healthful benefits. And if you can get that from CBD and you can get it just as effectively from hemp as marijuana, that's a, you know, that's a great thing for everybody. Right. And we haven't even touched on the industrial uses of the fiber for making clothing and cement, concrete. Well, everything. Hard parts, GM and uh, some of the European companies have announced they're going to start testing programs with uh, side body panels that are going to be manufactured out of uh, 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 generated uh, plastic parts. And, you know, that's it. Look, if, if, if industrial America buys into it on that level, there's no telling where it can stop. Um, and uh, what were we saying last show that uh, uh, in, in the last year there was about 250,000 acres of hemp being grown in this country compared to 10 million acres of corn. Uh, but you start getting industrial America involved in this, and that number is going to change very, very quickly. Yes. Yeah. So um, we talked about what I've been doing politically as well as musically. What do you got going up there in Illinois, Larry? Well, we're, you know, dab smack in the middle of the uh, application period for cultivation, uh, manufacturing, and transportation. And uh, as is typically the case, now we're within the last 30 days, so uh, all the activity is really starting to heat up. Um, certainly good for business, but uh, long hours and a little bit stressful sometimes as everybody is uh, fighting to make sure that they're in complete compliance with the multitude of requirements that uh, the state of Illinois has put forth. Um, but we're, we're very excited about where things are going with the adult use program and the level of sales has just been off the charts and much greater than anyone anticipated. Um, now the question is just finding a way to keep up with that demand. Um, and there's even some hope that these, uh, ex, um, these applications for cultivation might be expedited at some point in order to get people out there growing even faster uh, to see if they can keep up with it all. Uh, in the meantime, uh, the Illinois Hemp uh, program is doing remarkably well. I was at a meeting today for the Illinois chapter of the Hemp Industry Association, and the numbers that we're seeing in Illinois in terms of farmers who are, are going to be planting hemp crops this year uh, is, you know, hugely up from where it was last year. 
uh, we're very excited about that. And, um, you know, look, it, it, it seems to be a very good time in the cannabis industry. You know, I'm no forecaster and can't tell you where prices will be at this time next year. Um, but, you know, certainly what we've seen up to this point uh, is that there's been steady growth and um, uh, not a whole lot of, uh, of issue with, with uh, product falling off in those places, especially where the new markets are being created. Very good. Very good. Now, how much is an eighth up in Chicago? Okay, uh, a, a, an eighth of an ounce at a medical dispensary is selling, you know, on average for $60 and at an adult use dispensary for $80. Wow. That's very high. Yeah. It's expensive. Oh, yeah, it is. But there's a, still a shortage of product, I'd say. Yeah. Well, you look, we, we've created a very restricted market in Illinois, and I'm sure that, you know, part of the reasoning behind that is to maintain uh, a reasonable price for uh, for the industry and all of that. Uh, that does seem like a very high price, and I suspect that as times go forward, um, and, and you would know better than I, seeing how things have happened in Colorado, but like any other industry, uh, you eventually reach an equilibrium, right, in terms of where the product can go and what people are willing to pay if they want to come to you instead of going to the black market. And, you know, the hope is is that in Illinois at some point in time here we'll, we'll begin to reach that, and some of these adult use prices will become a little more manageable uh, because we certainly want to avoid uh, you know, more or less the debacle that was created in California by slapping so much excise tax on it that they basically pushed people back into the black market. Yeah. And then you have the other extreme of Oklahoma where they were turning around license applications in two weeks, and now they seem to have more dispensaries than they need for the medical program there. Right. And, and, and they show no signs of slowing down in terms of uh, licenses that they're issuing, which is really amazing that, you know, so many people, I, I guess the idea of these, the, the, the allure of having a marijuana license uh, sometimes clouds people's business senses because I, what I try to explain to people is, look, you know, you, there are states you can go to and you can just get a license. You don't have to go through this process like you do in Illinois. But in those states, you better look around really carefully and make sure that there's a market that's big enough to, you know, be able to successfully support one more cultivation center or one more dispensary. And a lot of these states, Oregon being a great example as well, you know, you can go and open if you want, but the, you know, the prices have become so depressed due to the huge supply that they have, uh, it's, it, it no longer becomes, you know, the big profit center that everybody hopes it will be when they dive into the industry. Yes. As I've said many times on this podcast, there's a very narrow path to profitability in the marijuana industry. And that would also be true of hemp and extracted products with CBD and CBG. Um, you can make a lot of money, but in my experience, it's the exception, the people who make a lot of money. Uh, other people seem to make a lot of mistakes. Case in point, we were just talking about Oklahoma. Now, very difficult to make money in Oklahoma when there's more retail outlets than the medical patient um, list of patients would, would support. Right. That is a problem. I agree. So, you know, look, we'll see. We're very excited here. Um, it, it, it's a fun time for everyone in Illinois. And I feel like we're finally breaking into the uh, into the big time in the marijuana industry after kind of suffering along for a while with our medical program. Um, so we'll see where it goes. But uh, it, it does appear to be moving in the right direction. We'll get these applications filed and uh, we'll get some more dispensaries and cultivation centers running out there. Okay. Well, we have a little bit more time left. Um, the summer tours are looking very 
good and promising for Dead and Company and Fish. Uh, a lot of opportunities for people to see them all over the country. Uh, what are your plans, Larry? Well, you, the one thing that's disappointing for me, while we have uh, Dead and Company again coming to Wrigley Field in July, and I, I have to tell you, even though I'm a Cardinals fan, and it's always hard to go into Wrigley Field when the dead are there. It's a great place, and it's about as much fun as you can have uh, in this baseball stadium, dab smack in the middle of the north side of Chicago. Um, and it's, it's just fun from start to finish, and uh, we really, really enjoy it when it's there. But Fish is not coming to the Chicago area this year, and I was really surprised to see that. And, you know, they've kind of alternated on years, either playing all the way uh, downtown on the lakefront at this big outdoor venue they have there, or uh, up in Wisconsin at Alpine Valley. And this year we're not getting them anywhere. Uh, the, in fact, the closest they're going to come to Chicago is Deer Creek in Indianapolis. So a whole group of us are already making our plans to travel down there for a day. And I haven't been to Deer Creek and since back when the dead were, you know, that was part of their regular tour. Um, so it'll kind of be nice to go back there and, uh, and see it again. But uh, I was just a little surprised about that. Fish gets tremendous support in the Chicago area. And, uh, you know, we're, we're hoping that it's just a precursor for a, uh, uh, a big stop on the fall tour when maybe they'll come through for a few nights and, uh, and kind of pay us back then. Right, right. Yeah, we got a lot of people lining up uh, to head to the Gorge um, in Washington yeah. for the shows there and then down to Lake Tahoe. Oh, wow. And then Fish will do, uh, I, think, I think the end of the tour is one show at uh, the L.A. Forum. Wow. That would be a lot of fun too. That's, yeah. I mean, look, there's just in in your part of the world out there. There's so many wonderful places to see shows, and um, you know, just you know, beautiful natural venues where you can go and see them. And here, it's you know, it's typically some big shed pavilion out in the middle of a cornfield somewhere, which is fine, and I'm happy to see them anywhere. But uh, you know, if you go into Red Rocks or you know some of those other locations like the Gorge that you're mentioning, you know, that just adds to the experience and makes it. Uh, makes it that much more fun i think so that'll be a lot of fun for you guys um but what i really like um jim is that you know while all this kind of downtime if you will is going on uh, none of these guys are sitting still you just saw oysterhead so trey's out there you know cranking around at full speed um phil's 80th birthday is coming up and he's got a bunch of shows that are planned including uh, a big show at lock-in this summer which is going to be in june instead of uh, august out in virginia and uh, Phil is going to be playing with his original quintet of uh, uh, Warren Haynes and Jimmy Herring and uh, John Molo on drums and uh, uh, Jimmy Baracco. I can't remember his name. Uh, Baracco, who plays the uh, the keyboard for them. Uh, originally, I guess he was with the Zen. Rob Baracco. Rob Baracco, thank you. Yes, originally with the Zen Tricksters from way back in the day. Um, and, and they're also going to have Joe Russo's Almost Dead playing. And the rumor is with... John Mayer coming out playing with Joe Russo is almost dead. So that to me is a, a, a very tempting thought. So I think we're going to try and get out there and, and, and uh, check out the Lockton Festival as well. But meanwhile, uh, our producer, uh, uh, Dan Humiston, was kind enough to send around a clip that he found uh, that has Bob Weir recording a new version of Ramble on Rose with Winona Judd. Have you heard that yet, Jim? I have. Um, you know, I guess it was last Thursday night was the show. And um, you know, when I'm about to relay comes through the big Steve hour that, um, you know, Bob couldn't have been more excited, as we all know from our Grateful Dead experience, that uh, Bob Weir loves country music, loves um, country western, 
Merle Haggard and sure. Johnny Cash and all the covers that Dead did over the years. And he was so excited to be able to play a full country set with Wyona Judd. And, um, yeah, it was very, very good. Very nice ramble on Rose. And um, I saw a video clip. It looked like it was handheld from the audience uh, from the Fillmore in San Francisco. But, um, yeah, very nice version. She's got such a beautiful voice, and she really hits the notes. And, you know, Bobby, uh, I, was, I thought, really, you know, played it well and, you know, kind of restrained himself in some spots, but then filled in very nicely. So you can check it out on YouTube. And there's even been talk, I think, that they may be putting it out as a seagull. And, and meanwhile, Bob and, and Wolf Brothers are touring. They're going to be coming through here in March. So uh, we're all scrambling to get our tickets for that one, too. No, very good. And I think my next outing, um, we bought our airline tickets and hotel rooms for the first weekend of Jazz Fest uh, with The Who and The Beach Boys. Oh, nice. um, I'll miss Dead & Company because um, that's the second weekend. And that just cuts it a little bit too close to our son's college graduation but uh dead and company is starting their uh, summer tour at two shows at Folsom which are like you know I, I believe the capacity is like around 50 60,000 and it's, it's kind of fun because and that's practically your backyard yeah 20 minutes from home um but what's fun about it is driving around Denver this week the billboards are up for dead and company I think it's July 9th and 10th and then um the um, sports channels on TV are running uh, Dead and Company ads, showing clips from last year's show. So they're oh, really cool. promoting these to get try to get some sellouts. They've, I think they've come close or maybe sold out one or two, but it's hard to sell sixty thousand in Colorado. That's a big show. Um, but uh, yeah, we're looking forward to that. It is. And quite frankly, I'm glad that they don't. You know, hold it in a big stadium like that. If it holds sixty and you get forty, to me, that's perfect. There's a big crowd. Everybody's having fun. And you, you you can you can find elbow room and you can find a little bit of space to dance and do your thing and yep. you know it, it's not shoulder to shoulder and any, anybody who wants to go can go right you know one of the other big shows I saw on the um, summer tour for Dead and Company is I believe they're doing um, the big stadium in New Jersey what what is that one called oh uh, um uh, East Rutherford yeah 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 uh, Meadowlands Meadowlands and that's like eighty thousand yeah. Yeah, you know, it's where the Giants play football. Yeah, they're they're going to go in there and they're going to do a show. And knowing New York, they'll probably draw a full house because you know New York fans are nuts and they go out and support them everywhere. So, you know, that's uh, that's very cool too. But yeah, I mean, it, 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 if you stop and you think about that for a minute, right? Think back to the uh, like you know the early 1990s when the Dead finally reached the point where they had to start playing stadiums, and their summer tour in Chicago always took them to Soldier Field instead of. Alpine Valley or other places, and we were all just amazed at the idea that the dead had reached such a level of popularity that they could command that kind of crowd. Now, here's Dead and Company, right, which is the dead without Jerry, without Phil playing with them, uh, without, you know, any of the original keyboardists or anything, and they've the, the, the demand for Grateful Dead music is so great that these guys are you know, going to be selling out or come close to selling out these huge football stadiums. It's just, it's amazing to think the level of which this music remains, uh, you know, on everybody's list of, of, of summer shows that they want to see. Right, right. Well, along that line and being out, it really felt good being out last night and getting with all our folks and all our all our peeps who uh, love fish and the Grateful Dead and Oysterhead. Um, but I was telling some young people some stories of my heyday. And um, 
Yeah, the Grateful Dead and Fish both outgrew Red Rocks here in Colorado because Red Rocks holds 9,500. And as a little historical note, I was at the very last Grateful Dead show at Red Rocks, which was August of 1987. And I was also at the very last Fish concert, which was in the summer of 1995 or 6, might have been 96, when they also outgrew Red Rocks. And um, on another show, I'll, I'll tell a couple of stories of why those bands got asked not to come back. Now, his, to fill in the blanks, Fish did get invited back for four shows at Red Rocks post-hiatus. Wow. Okay. But in 1995, they were asked not to, in 96, they were asked not to come back, as were the Grateful Dead back in 87, um, when both of those bands outgrew that venue. And um, I got some great stories about those days. But that's interesting that I was at the last Grateful Dead show at Red Rocks and the last Fish show before they got asked not to come back. So I have a little bit of music history under my belt. And I very quick closing to all this. The last song the Grateful Dead played at Red Rocks was Knocking on Heaven's Door, August of 87. And there was so many people outside that couldn't get in that at the top of Red Rocks, there's a circular parking lot uh, where all the limos kind of drop people off and stuff. And all the young people, the hippies with their tie-dyes and their dresses who couldn't get into the show, were all dancing in that circular parking lot in the headlights of the cop cars. Oh, wow. That's fun. Look, you know, that's what's great about the deadhead hippies, right? They'll dance anywhere if they can even just hear a little bit of it. Even if they can't, they'll pretend that they do, and they'll dance up a storm, right? So it's always fun. Right, right. But I remember walking out of that show and just seeing all the hippies dancing in the headlights of the cop cars. Right, yeah. Cops are all like, okay, well, as long as they behave themselves, we're happy to we're happy to provide the light show. So, yeah, that's fun. It's a great place, and there's a lot of, you know, memorable concerts that were played at Red Rocks, both by the Dead and Fish, and you know, I, I, part of just, you know, in my the way I always like to think of it was that they they were aware of where they were. They rose to the occasion to, you know, to, to play to that. And uh, most of the time they did every now and then they might slip a little bit. But it didn't matter, right? Because on the nights, even when they slipped, if you're watching them at Red Rocks, who the hell cares? It's so beautiful and you're having such a good time anyway. It's all good. Well, I think we're coming to the end of our time slot for this broadcast, this podcast. So, um I will say um, goodbye from Longmont, Colorado. Larry? Yeah, uh, absolutely, Jim. And my understanding, the next time uh, you and I talk, you will be uh, on the East Coast. Is that correct? Yes, I have my bag packed. I'm heading to the um, National Cannabis Industry Association cannabis event in Massachusetts. And I'll be seeing some clients in Massachusetts. And um, so I will be doing a podcast from that event, uh, either Wednesday or maybe I think we settled on Thursday morning this week. So um, I'll look forward to reporting about what's going on in Massachusetts, another place that has $60 ace. Wonderful. So I really think prices need to come down. Uh, yeah, that would be nice. Um, you know, $60 an ace, is, it, just, it keeps the black market in play. Um, in a tr- true free market like Colorado, our ace are $20, $25 as a point of uh, – but we'll pick up on that from Massachusetts. I'll give you a report on prices in Massachusetts when we meet uh, again uh, this coming week. Wonderful. We'll look forward to it. Thank you so much, and have a safe travel. Okay. Over and out from the Deadhead Cannabis Show. Talk to you next week. Thanks. Bye-bye.
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Joyce Gerber, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast, The Canna Mom Show. And we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on this industry as business professionals, healthcare providers, policy advocates, caregivers, moms, by sharing and preserving their stories of love and kindness, wisdom, and hope. I am so grateful to have found my tribe of Canna podcasters right here on Pod. Connex, and look forward to our work of crushing the stigma around cannabis and caregivers and building this new industry together.